Hi, I'm Jayant Sriram and welcome to In Focus, the Hindu's analysis podcast. Thanks for joining us. In today's episode, we'll cover two international stories and cover them both from the perspective of how they might affect India. We hope to make this a regular feature of our coverage of global affairs. We put out a fair few episodes analyzing big developments from around the world and that's very important to us. But in the coming weeks, we'll also try and do episodes like these, in which we look at how those developments affect us here. The big story of this week continues to be the spread of the novel coronavirus. In some aspects, the focus is now shifted outside China. The WHO said today, in fact, that there is as much as 17 times more new infections outside of China now than in China. Over the past few days, India has also reported a number of confirmed cases as well. On the other hand, this still remains a very China-centric story because we move on now to analysing the trade impact of the slowdown in manufacturing that China has seen over the last few months as it fights to contain the spread of the disease. India is one of the countries that will be most affected and to discuss that with me today, I have Anand Krishnan, the Hindu's former China correspondent. The other big story of the week is the Super Tuesday primary races for the Democratic Party's nomination that took place in the US. A crowded Democratic field has now been reduced to just two candidates. That's Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders and former Vice President Joe Biden. There is the big question of how effective a challenger either of them may be to President Donald Trump in the November general elections. But for this episode, we look briefly at the question of what a Biden or Sanders administration might look like for India and whether Indian Americans will play any significant role in the US elections. Speaking with me about that is the Hindu's former US correspondent, Narayan Lakshman. We hope you like this episode. Let us know what you think. We have contact details in the show notes and we'd love to hear from you with either comments or feedback. And you can also find our podcast now on all major platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Stitcher and Anchor. You can find us there by searching for In Focus by The Hindu. And here's Anand Krishnan now to start today's show. Anand, hi, welcome to this inaugural episode, this first episode of India's World. I hope we make it a regular feature. Thank you, Jayant. Happy to be here. Right. So, you know, in looking for big stories, that was not a difficult task at all this week. The story that's on everyone's mind is the coronavirus, COVID-19, that's now spreading in India. A little bit too fast for comfort. And so I think we'll get to, we'll get to the India aspect. We'll talk about what what's going on here. But um, this is still very much a China story in some ways. And I think focus is now moving um, from the health aspect in China to what's happening, what's, what's the effect on the economy of China and now on the global economy. So let's just start with the first aspect of that. In terms of uh, China controlling the spread of COVID-19, what are we hearing now? Because I think the latest news is that the cases are rapidly going down. The reported cases are going down rapidly. Well, that's right. Uh, I mean, uh, to date, uh, globally, we have 95,000 cases, out of which uh, 80,000 are cases in China. So China still accounts for a huge chunk of the global cases. But what's interesting is uh, Feb 26th was kind of an inflection point when the daily new cases outside of China uh, overtook 
the daily new cases that were being reported in China. So if you just look at, for example, uh, on March 4th, uh, China just reported 119 uh, new infections, which was far less than maybe the four or 500 infections that were being seen outside of China. Uh, and within China itself, uh, there were just four new infections outside of Hubei province, uh, which shows that they've been fairly successful uh, in terms of the huge uh, measures that they've taken to, to stop the spread of the coronavirus outside of Hubei province, uh, which is uh, the epicenter of the outbreak. So, uh, but there has been a, a consequence uh, to the measures that China has taken, which include putting something like 750 million people in some form of lockdown, essentially restricting all kinds of travel. Uh, people have been cloistered in their, in their villages and, and, and small towns and pretty much unable to go out to travel or work. So it's had a tremendous economic impact, so much so that uh, people are, most economists are certain that for the first quarter of this year, China's economy is probably going to contract, even if the official data is probably going to say 3% or 4%, uh, which, which might not reflect the reality. So the focus, so the Chinese government now is in a very difficult position. On the one hand, it has to restart the economy, uh, otherwise it's going to be faced with job losses, companies closing down, but then that could risk a whole new wave of infections if people start traveling and, and coming back to work. So it's a very tough balancing act that China has to follow. But you're right, the focus now is shifting to the economy, uh, also because of the huge global impact of, of the slowdown in China. Right. So let's just talk about that global impact. Um, firstly, firstly, let's just address the question of what it means for India now, because there are, there's a huge reliance between the two countries economically. Um, so what is this, what is the possible slowdown in the Chinese economy now mean for India? And, you know, let's just get into the details of that. Right. So the, in China is, of course, India's biggest trading partner, but it's a very uh, lopsided trading relationship in the sense that it's pretty much entirely driven by Indian imports of Chinese goods. So in terms of a slowdown in the China market uh, isn't going to affect Indian companies uh, in the way that it is affecting American companies like Apple that are selling to China. Uh, frankly, because Indian companies don't have a big market presence in China. So for us, the impact is more in terms of uh, imports from China that we are reliant uh, uh, in, a, in a huge way. Uh, and I think top of the list of things that we are concerned about uh, are active uh, pharmaceutical ingredients or APIs, which India's pharma industry uh, needs uh, pretty much to survive. And we, re we depend on something like 70 to 80 percent of all of our APIs come from China. So if there's going to be a big slowdown uh, in terms of the Chinese supply chain of exporting APIs and, and signs are that that's, that is happening at the moment, that could have huge repercussions for India's pharma industry. Uh, another example would be the auto industry in India, which imports a lot of components and parts from China. So I think it's still too early to say how different supply chains in China have been impacted by by the coronavirus and, and what the fallout's going to be on India. Um, I think one of the, the, the ironies is that uh, I think for 10, 15 years now, people have been speaking about doing something about reducing our reliance on one country for yeah. something as important and strategic as, as a pharmaceutical industry, but nothing has happened. Uh, so I think, I don't know if this is going to be a wake-up call that's actually going to get Indian policymakers to find ways to produce APIs in India or find alternative sources uh, to diversify this reliance on China. Uh, one interesting report we should flag uh, is the, uh, one of the early estimates of what is the global trade impact uh, of, of the slowdown in China. 
And I think it said that India was among the top 15 countries affected. Countries uh, to be affected? Right. And this was a report by the UN Conference on Trade and Development, UNCTAD. Uh, the EU uh, was the number one most affected, and the US was was number two. India was fairly lower down, somewhere along the along the same scale as Indonesia and Malaysia. And they estimated the cost to India at three hundred forty eight million dollars, which is far less than the fifteen billion dollars of trade that they think uh, the EU uh, would would suffer from because of the outbreak. And the US was was number two at about six billion dollars. So if we put that in context, India isn't among the countries worst affected. Uh, only because of the nature of our of our trade relationship with China, so it's n- it's nowhere as bad as uh, what the EU and the US, for example, will probably be bracing for. So in India's case, it's bas- it basically focuses on these two sectors, pharmaceutical and auto. Right. So uh, according uh, to the report, I mean that's only because these are our two biggest uh, imports in our trading basket from China, uh, and unlike as I said, unlike many of the Western co- uh, companies that are reliant on the China market. Uh, that they sell to, uh, we we aren't in that in that position. So so it's a slightly different equation as far as India is concerned. Uh, and then the other thing that we should talk about is, I mean, just to remind people of how fast the story is changing, is it was just a month ago that people were like looking at the slowdown in China, and they were asking, well, is this the time for India to kind of, uh, it, it, you know, to to step up at a time when. Uh, People are questioning their reliance on China as a factory of the world. But then the story is changing so much where now we are worried about the outbreak spreading in India. Right. <laughs> and, and, and cases in China seem to be declining. So I think it's, it's a bit premature to look at long-term consequences, I think, to global trade uh, right now, only because it's, it's, I think it's, we are in the middle of a story that's, that's developing and changing. Yeah, because I think that was one of the things that I was going to ask. Um, is there, have there, has there been any commentary about you know, the, the outbreak in China actually reducing its its stature in this region? Or is that actually too, is that something that's too soon to um, talk about, like you said? No, I think it was a, it's a very valid question that people were asking at the initial stage of the outbreak when people, when it was largely restricted to China and, and China was closing down and its economy is going through a, an incredible uh, shutdown all through January and February. So people were asking, well, were questioning the logic of being so reliant on one country for their supply chains. Uh, and I think it was a fair question to ask. But now I think as you see COVID spread throughout Asia, uh, I think it's, it's. I mean, when, I think it's, a, it's going to be a pandemic that's going to affect probably every country in, in, in different ways. So I think it's a question people are asking a lot less now. But at the same time, I think it's also, the, it's, it's taking place at a time when we have seen this larger, broader trend of, of, of companies moving out some of their supply chains only because wages and costs are going up so much in China. There has been a big shift to Southeast Asia, to Vietnam and the Philippines, and, and to Bangladesh as well. Uh, and uh, when I was in, in Hong Kong recently interviewing a couple of logistics companies in terms of changing patterns of trade, uh, interesting things that they told me were they were seeing a lot of shifts away from southern China to Vietnam, the Philippines, uh, Bangladesh, uh, Thailand as well, not as much as they would have thought to India, which kind of reflects perhaps a missed opportunity in terms of as far as what India could have done uh, in in stepping up. But I think only because of the nature of how fast this outbreak is spreading, I think people are asking that question a lot less now only because of how uncertain the outlook is. I read a headline that basically said, um, in effect, that China essentially stopped its economy to deal with the coronavirus. 
And you also mentioned other measures that they've taken. Well, we all know that they basically shut down a whole city, something that, you know, we can't do in India. I assume other Asian countries will find that tough as well. So what's what's the contrast there, according to you? What are these measures that China is able to take that, you know, we, we would find hard here, the rest of the region would find hard in terms of just as even this whole question of just like slowing the, I mean, stopping stopping the economy, essentially, just to like get this whole thing under control. So I think there are two aspects to the Chinese response. Uh, one is uh, what you mentioned, I think this massive lockdown that they did in, in Hubei province and in Wuhan, which I think far too draconian for most for other countries to contemplate. But I also think there are other responses that they've done outside of Hubei in Beijing, Shanghai and other cities in terms of being very vigilant and careful in, in testing every possible uh, patient and ensuring free testing and contact tracing. Uh, and I think those are things that countries can actually learn from, which the WHO has, has also said. So I think we should be we should differentiate between different things that they're doing. It's not just their response isn't just one blanket yeah. quarantine. Um, but at the same time, in terms of the impact that it's had on economic activity, just anecdotally from people that I've been speaking to in in, in South China, in Shanghai, and in Beijing as well, that it's been it's had a huge impact, especially uh, on factories because. Uh, you have something like 290 million uh, migrant workers uh, in China who travel every year from their hometowns to work in cities and in factories. And according to the Chinese government, as of late February, only something like 80 million of them have actually come back to work. So a huge chunk of, of the labor force that powers Chinese manufacturing is now currently cloistered in their hometowns and villages because of the measures that China took. And this is because the outbreak happened during the annual Chinese New Year holiday. So a lot of these people were already at home. So what the government did to prevent the spread of the outbreak was to extend this holiday indefinitely until February and March to ensure these people would stay home. So I think one consequence of that is most of China's labor force isn't back to work yet. And I think the big question now is how much longer can they afford to, to take these measures to limit travel to cities like Beijing and Shanghai, uh, since the more they delay it, the greater are going to be the economic costs. And the flip side is, once you open up your big cities to people to migrants coming in, the risk of uh, of another second phase of the outbreak just exponentially grows. So it's a very difficult difficult decision that they have to make. Narayan Lakshman joins us now to talk about the Super Tuesday primaries. Narayan, hi. Just a quick discussion on the Super Tuesday results and what they might mean for India. The Democratic field is now narrowed from a whole lot of candidates to just two. That's Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. Joe Biden, of course, who was part of the Obama administration, might continue a far far more traditional approach to foreign policy and toward India. Bernie Sanders, as we know from recent events, is going to be far more of a wild card. So what what would a Bernie Sanders administration look like and what would that mean for the U.S.'s foreign policy to India? What I'd first like to kind of underscore is that obviously we are looking at one other factor between Bernie Sanders winning the primary and Bernie Sanders being the president, and that is President Donald Trump. So one has to also delve quite deep into how a battle between the two of them would play out and indeed between Biden and Trump if that were the case. So setting that aside for the moment, though, the big difference between them in terms of an impact for India is that, as you indicated, uh, Bernie Sanders has been far more outspoken on issues of religious freedom in the context of 
the several months of protests that we've seen over the CAA and RC and PR, and then of course, actually it began even with Kashmir, and then it went through these uh, to protest against these acts, and then it has of course culminated in comments on the Delhi violence. Uh, uh, Bernie Sanders has been quite outspoken on Twitter. Uh, he also commented on uh, President Trump's visit, saying that instead of trying to push so hard to conclude economic deals, he should be looking at issues of climate change, sort of hinting that, you know, let's make sure that India remains a responsible player in these regards. So in those specific areas, uh, you know, religious freedom rights, climate change, possibly even putting reasonable restrictions on the excesses of uh, Wall Street and uh, Dalal Street, uh, there could be a little bit of a pushback in a Bernie Sanders presidency relative to a Biden presidency, if that were ever to be. Biden, as you correctly said, would pretty much tow the same or very similar policy lines that we saw for eight years under President Barack Obama. So that is more of a sort of a known uh, uh, you know, beast to deal with, for India to deal with. The second thing is uh, Indian American voters. I think from what we know, they traditionally tend to swing toward the Democratic Party. Um, but but that that might be changing because we did see a lot of take the take the Howdy Modi event for instance that was like a really it seemed to be that lots of people were actually supporting not maybe not supporting Trump but seemed to find him an acceptable leader and they especially liked the fact that he shares this camaraderie with Modi. What can we say about the Indian Americans and how they might play a role in this election? So just given how you know vocal the Indian American Republicans are, one might tend to think uh, from what you pick up on social media and elsewhere that a large part, large number of them or a majority of them tend towards the Republican Party. But Indian Americans as a group, as you rightly said, uh, have leaned a little more heavily towards the Democrat side. Having said that, the very interesting dynamic that's played out in recent days and months is that they have themselves got polarized, as has the... Uh, sort of bipartisan consensus around India as an issue. So what we said about Bernie Sanders actually echoes much farther within the Democratic Party. So from uh, Pramila Jaipal uh, and uh, other lawmakers who've spoken out very, very strongly against Ilhan Omar, not necessarily only Indians or people of Indian origin, uh, they've all spoken out very strongly against what they perceive are the violation of certain rights of certain minorities in India, uh, that has actually driven a wedge between the Republicans and Democrats who have traditionally considered India as a non-controversial bipartisan consensus issue. Now, Repub I mean, Indian Americans are, of course, as they are split between Republicans and Democrats, they are also getting split and divided along these issues. And there is the occasional sense of hostility when you have a big event like a Trump, uh, like a Modi event in uh, in, in the US, or if you have a Trump event here, there will always be protests on the sidelines and things like that. There'll be comments from leaders who are actually critical of this burgeoning bonhomie between Trump and Modi. So as you see Indian Americans split between these two parties increasingly, the parties themselves are also being driven apart over very specific choke points like religious freedom rights, maybe even climate change, the economy, tariffs, these are things that will continue to have an echo, I feel, in the months ahead.